Welcome to another episode of the Mindfield Podcast with your hosts, Kiri and Alexi. For those who haven't joined us before, a massive welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen. The aim of the podcast is very simple. We're here to try and open up conversations about mental health and try and have some fun along the way. We try to interview all sorts of guests and they include the famous and the not so famous. Seasons one and two have seen us host professional sportsmen, mental health advocates, psychiatrists, entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, as well as straightforward everyday people with everyday problems. They all offer a very unique take on what mental health is to them, how they've overcome their problems in the past and how they've led happy and successful lives, even whilst battling their inner demons. They tell us how they've navigated their very own minefields. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Josh Connolly. He's one of the most UK's most influential mental health advocates, and he regularly speaks on the BBC, ITV and Channel 5 News. Josh has even gone as far as speaking in the House of Commons, and not necessarily as a politician. He's contributed to government mental health policy and even advised the script writing team on Hollyoaks. Hollyoaks and the House of Commons don't have all that much in common, but it probably shows the spread that Josh is capable of. Um, He now runs resilience workshops for global brands and organisations. Josh has become quite the authority on vulnerability, resilience and managing emotions. Josh, it's absolutely brilliant to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's good to be here. Um, I never really quite know how I should look when people are reading out the bio. You know, you're supposed to look a bit humble and a bit sort of uh, awkward when you're doing it. But no, listen, it's good to be here and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Good, good. Um, you know, we're going through that intro again. I suddenly thought I wanted to, to ask you, what did you prefer, the House of Commons or Hollyoaks? But um, instead, I think we're going <laughs> to we're going to look at resilience and vulnerability a bit later i don't think it's necessarily the right place to start and and before we do i i think the most useful thing we can do is is listen to you about your story do you want to just take us through that yeah okay look my my story starts when um it actually starts when i was 25 years old i'm i'm, I'm 33 now so we're going back like 8 years and um i'd reached a stage in my life as a as a 25 year old man who believed that i was sort of strong and brave and courageous um i reached a stage where i had a severe a severe breakdown uh, that started off with severe panic attacks and and eventually i reached a stage where i didn't want to be here anymore and um i made what felt like a very selfless it felt like a very noble decision to take my own life and i went to see my kids for one last time and because i knew i was going to die um the past became irrelevant the future was non-existent and for the first time ever in my life i was present with my kids in a way that i'd never experienced i remember cuddling my daughter and feeling it in a way that i'd never felt before um i saw my son go down the slide and he looked at me when he got to the bottom and i realized just how connected we was and it was fortunate for me that in that weekend i changed my mind about taking my own life and um shortly after i kind of reached out for some support um and it was through reaching out for that support um that i realized that my journey didn't really start when i was 25 years old and that my journey started when i was a child and i had grown up saying that i'd had a really good childhood that there was nothing really to complain about i i'd said the things that i believed as a particularly as a man but i think as a human that i was supposed to say that that people had it way worse than me, that sure things were bad, but it could have been worse. And I'm grateful for the good times and things like that. Um, but the reality for me became very clear when I started to look at it, that, 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 that those things didn't really cover the way, you know, the experience that I had. And um, I started to look back at my childhood. I wanted to understand who I was and why I had had such a, um, 
disastrous breakdown at the age of 25, despite feeling like I was this strong, brave man. And, you know, what I realized very quickly is I, I grew up in an environment with an alcoholic father. My dad was quite a violent, angry, chaotic man who scared me when he was drunk and scared me when he was sober. And um, within that environment, you know, we learned very quickly that you don't talk about the ways that you feel, uh, you don't trust the ways that you feel, uh, and you certainly um, don't get the opportunity to even think about the ways that you feel. And we learned those rules, by the way, uh, say we, I lived with my younger brother and older brother. Um, uh, certainly I learned those rules by the way that I interacted with my parents. You know, as a very young child, I remember sensing the stress that my mum was under as a result of the ways that my dad drank. And I very much felt like my struggles would be a burden to my mum. And so I learned to push them down and I learned to bury them. On top of that experience, on top of, you know, my dad being the way that he was, I also now recognise that I've always been very sensitive. So I, I would say I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm sensitive to touch and sound and smell, but I'm also really sensitive to, to emotions and feelings as well. Not just my own, but I sense other people's pain quite easily um and as a as a boy young boy i was always told that i was too sensitive that i needed to toughen up that i needed to get stronger and so again i learned to push down and bury the ways that i felt and show up as a version of who i thought i was supposed to be right um you know if you fast forward my life i, I went through some you know some really difficult times that i'm sure will come up as we talk but at nine years old, I saw my dad take his own life. I was there when he did it. Um, and my need to make sure that my mum was okay ran so deep. I didn't phone an ambulance because I thought if I phone an ambulance, people will know, uh, my mum will know what I've seen. And so I waited in the flat with my dad. And when the phone rang, it was my mum. And I said, dad's really drunk. Pick us up out the front. And my mum picked us up out the front and we went home. And two days later, I found out that my, my dad had passed away. Now, at my dad's funeral, lots of people told me to be brave. Yeah. Some people told me to be brave for my, for my mum, right? Which I now recognize was terrible advice, but it was the kind of advice that we still throw out, right, regularly. And so at that stage, again, I learned to bury how I felt and I turned up, you know, I was congratulated for being brave and I walked out of my dad's funeral without a tear in my eye, which for me is ridiculous uh, when you look back at it. And I went on, you look, I vowed to never struggle in the way that, you know, I vowed to never drink alcohol. I, you know, my dad had given me the perfect example of how not to be. And yet I found alcohol and cannabis and other drugs when I was sort of 12 or 13 years old. And they really worked for me. They changed my life. Alcohol and drugs saved my life before they took my life away. Um, and, you know, my first daughter was born when I was 18 years old. And by the time I was 19, despite being in, in a job, and, and owning, having a mortgage at the age of 18, I was beginning to, you know, carry on the pattern of what my dad had done and what his granddad had done before him. And, but, you know, what had gone on through my family history forever. And, um, you know, that, that, that took me to that stage of 24 years old. I was heavily involved in football violence at the time. I was going to football on the weekends. I was drinking a lot, not every day. Uh, I always, I never drank on a Wednesday. So that I wasn't an alcoholic. Yeah. I never drank in the morning um, unless I was on a bender. Then I did drink in the morning, but that didn't count because I was on a bender. Absolutely. Um, and so, I, you know, that line of what it is to be an alcoholic, which I'd imagine we're getting to, um, got further and further back. The closer I got to it, every time I got close to it, I moved it back. I adjusted it. Um, 
And look, you know, my life changed after that weekend with my kids. And that's what set me on the journey for who I am today and the work that I do today. And that's been about, you know, saying, do you know what? All of that kind of version of who I was got me nowhere. It got me to a place where I nearly left this world. So why don't I try and live a life that's a little bit different where I sort of be sort of fiercely honest with myself? Um, And yeah, that's kind of, you know, that's, a sort of shortened version uh the shortest version i can give you of how of how i've got to where i am today yeah that's amazing um to tell you what your honesty and sort of vulnerability i know we're going to come on to it is is pretty powerful um i, I haven't quite heard a story said that straight and and with that sort of tone for, for quite some time and i appreciate it I, I know it can't be the easiest thing in the world to talk about but mm. i, I want to go back to that the funeral and and that those words that phrase the be brave um because I know we're told it all the time. And you're absolutely right. That's still so common throughout uh, our lives and what we're told to do whenever we're facing up to disappointment or disaster or grief. Um, what exactly in your eyes is wrong with that, with that phrase, be brave? Um, because it's the, the, the term be brave is often used out of a position of fear. So, so when the adults in this circumstance, and these were well-meaning adults, they weren't bad people, right? Yeah. They were everyday adults. Um, I believe what they actually meant when they said be brave was I don't think I could deal with the emotion that you probably need to present me. So I'm going to tell you to be brave and then we all get to avoid it and pretend that everything's okay. Yeah. And yeah. that's what, you know, that's when, when we actually use be brave, I think that's nearly always what we mean by it. We don't mean be brave. We mean be terrified of the emotion, push it down and bury it and show up in a way where we can all be comfortable. Do you think it then comes out later? absolutely we suppress suppress and it just ferments itself in in very different ways and sometimes worse ways without question you know you know we've probably all heard the idea that emotion is 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 energy in motion and if i push in it if i push an emotion down into my body it doesn't go away and if i don't find a way to process or deal with it now then my body will find a way to do it for me depression anxiety addiction rage uh, headaches, yeah. backaches, whatever it may be, yeah. Yeah, is all for me. You know, when we, when we push down a difficult emotion, we 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 buy ourselves um, short term gain at the price of long term pain, right? And and, yeah. and so if we if I don't find a way to deal deal with it now, it's going to come. It's coming. And um, I actually think one of the biggest problems and one of the biggest causes of some of the struggles that we see in society is actually born out of emotional avoidance rather than um, actually being able to lean in and, and feel the actual true ways that we feel. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and, and reading through all your stuff before before we came on and recorded this, I have to admit that I, I've spent the last, you know, I'm 28, working in a very professional environment, and I've spent the last eight years being told and, and training my mind to avoid emotion. In a professional environment, you're told that emotion is weakness. Emotion clouds your judgment. Emotion doesn't allow you to make the, the right or wrong business decisions. And suddenly in the last year, I've realized, well, actually, I, I'm a bottler. I'm a massivist. And I haven't suffered anything like what you've suffered. But on a micro level, I don't show emotion. And I'm trying to sort of balance this, well, you know, be the stoic, very measured person who can and talk rationally and logically at all times, and then the one that also can manage their emotions. And I, I struggle, and I and I wonder, what advice do you give then to to people suffering with with emotions or going through certain certain incidents? How do you manage them, and how do you deal with them? 
Well, look, firstly, we don't get to choose how we feel, yeah, right? True, so I, I, I don't believe that you can change the ways that, that you feel, right? I, I, you're going to feel how you're going to feel, right? Because you're a human being and that's what you're supposed to do. What we do have some control over is, like you say, the way that we react to or deal with the ways that we feel, yeah? Um, this idea, that we, we, we often sell this idea of this rational part of our brain, right? If we stay up in this rational side, we try and rationalize everything. So for example, when you look at some of the experiences that I've had, people will sometimes think that by telling me that my dad had a problem with addiction, that it's going to make me feel better. Right. And it doesn't, it, it, it helps me to rationalize so I can go, look, my dad didn't mean to be the ways that he was, but that doesn't stop me feeling the ways that I feel about the way that he was. So I can pretend and I can, get obsessed with rationalizing stuff if I want, but it's not going to work. If, you know, look, if I, if I um, tripped and dropped a massive brick on your foot, right. You could, you could forgive me. Right. And say, I can rationalize. Josh really didn't mean to drop the brick on my foot, but you'd still have to go and get your foot sorted out. Yeah. Right. Because the two are different things. Yeah. And so I, I make space in my life every day. I still find it difficult to be sad, by the way. Um, my, my body and my mind, panics whenever sadness comes yeah. and my body and my mind tries to protect me to, to tries to shut me off from it but i make space in my life every day i look at things as they are should i feel sad about this and if i should and i'm not then i'm going to go and try and make myself feel sad about it because i'm a human being and i'm supposed to feel sadness right yeah and so uh you know i, I guess to bring it back to the question what advice would i give my advice would be to 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 make space in your life every day to be able to start to reconnect with your body firstly um, and then to start trying feel feeling the ways that you feel. Yeah, no, it's good advice. And it probably it would help. It helps in so many different scenarios as well. And, and you're right. Our lives are just us bumping from emotion to emotion to emotion. And they're all different they're from ecstasy and happiness to sadness and, and, and grief. And we are notoriously bad at dealing with them. Um, the, other, the, the, the follow on from that, that I wanted to, go to is, is you mentioned it very briefly, but the, the asking for help, um, asking for help, you know, after we deal with this is again, it's not a very common thing. We often tend to similar to emotions, we bottle things up and we don't externalize them and go and speak to people, even those people that we trust the most. How important is, is asking for help? Well, look, asking for help is, is, is an act of resilience in itself, right? Yeah. Um, because what I'm doing when I ask for help is I'm recognizing that I need extra resources to deal with what I'm dealing with and I'm setting about making sure that I get the resources right if you if you had to knock down a big wall if you stood there doing it with just your fists you wouldn't be resilient you'd be an, an idiot right yeah. Yeah. to be resilient would be to find the resources to, to to do it in the easiest way to go and get a bulldozer and knock the thing down or whatever it might be right so actually getting help is is vital. It's just it's another resource of, of what we need in order to be able to deal with the way deal with the ways that we feel. I would caveat that by saying, um, just as important as reaching out for help is making sure that we've got people that are available to listen. I think one of the the big reasons a lot of people find it difficult to talk about the ways that we feel is because people are rubbish at listening, and they hit us with, you know, even now people are literally promoting this idea of hitting people with positive affirmations when I'm struggling. If I say to you, I feel sad about my dad. If you say to me, oh, come on, you'll be all right. Don't worry about your dad. Then you're devaluing my experience completely. Yeah. But the reason you'll do that is because you don't want to deal with the way that it makes you feel. 
Yeah. So, so, so the listeners become vital in that sense. Yeah, I think that's so. It's so tough. I mean, one of my my question was going to be uh, to do with what's changing now. What's changing now? Is it getting is it getting harder for people to listen? Is it getting because because as you said, there's there's lots of people are now reaching out. Um, we're we're getting that it's being talked about a lot more. But is it are they getting the attention? that they need when they reach out and is it even worse because when you do reach out the person that you're reaching out to is not quite listening and mm. it's tough because you can't quite you can't blame people for not almost being good listeners because they've naturally you know I find this question really hard because it, you know mobile phones have really drawn us away from having real conversations but we all do it we all have our moments throughout the day um is it is it a case that it's getting worse and it's not really the question that i want to ask but 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 what really is 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 going on is it harder to ex- is it harder to express our emotions because we know that people are not going to listen to us or are there just more distractions how how do you kind of it's it's <laughs> it's such a deep question, right? By the way, that's got so many layers to it because I, I think at the core of that, you know, when you bring up the mobile phones and the way in which we kind of dive in and, and escape into our mobile phones, right? That's driven by a need to escape, right? So where does that need to escape come from? Why why am I finding it difficult to just be present, right? I always say, if you yeah. saw a man stood, wait, right? If I was waiting for a, a lift outside my house, but I just stood outside the front of my house, just gazing into the, to the distance. If you walked past me, you'd think, what is this guy doing? Yeah. Right? Because, because now he, he should at least have his phone out, right? Why is he gazing into the distance and contemplating life, right? So, yeah. we, you know, go on. No, I was going to say, I, 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 can't, I sit at a restaurant and I've, I've gone for like dinner on my own a couple of times mm-hmm. and you don't know what to do. Like I feel myself being like, if I sit here and I don't look at my phone, people are going to think I'm weird. Like I've sat there and I've done it and I've tested myself and I'm like, I'm like this. And I think the waiters sort of come over and they're like, yeah, what do you, so what do you want? Because you're looking around, right? You've got to occupy your mind either in, internally or externally by looking at stuff. And I know that it's the right thing to do. But it's so it's so awkward and so hard, even even for me. I mean, it it definitely is an internal battle. And I think it's something that I would say is really good practice. Definitely practice at stuff like that because. But it's so it's. I just think it's mental how you know even when I'm aware that it's the better thing to do, you know, just to not look at my phone, and I know it's going to feel nicer and. I kind of just want to observe people. Observing people is fun. Like in the real life, observing yeah. people. We always used to call it, um, yeah, people watching. And yeah. now people watching is just like on this phone. of, of, of And it's not really people watching because we're not actually watching, I think, the specifics of how weird human beings can be maybe like yeah. we're only watching highlights right we're watching or, or weird things that are thrown at us for a reason and and, and was so yeah i was just going to say 
it, it made me think of just sitting at a restaurant or or anywhere. You know, I've thought about doing it, but you'd actually attract so much attention just by like being that person that sits in the park by themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the, but that stems out of a difficulty with being present right your your mind is firing up everything that you've talked about there and it happens to me by the way right all the time I remember uh, a, a couple of years ago when I first went away and I left my phone at home right and uh, I went away for the weekend with my wife and kids and there was a moment on the Saturday when I my wife had taken the kids to the uh, like the play bit and I was watching the football scores come in but I was in there on my own right and I didn't have my phone and I watched the first half of the scores come in. Fine, yeah? Just focus on the TV and the scores, yeah? But at halftime, I was like you. I found myself, where do I put my hands, right? Who do I look at? And then I'm watching this family, and then I'm thinking, oh, my God, what do they think I'm doing? But all of this is born out of the own narrative that's going on in my head that is there because I can't just be, right? Yeah. So so that difficulty in, in, in being is, is difficult. But then we... We then pass that difficulty with being on to one another. So when I come to you with my problems, right, if you're emotionally full because you haven't done the work on yourself to be able to process and deal with your own emotions, then you don't have room for my emotions. So subconsciously what we do, I believe, as people is we start to panic, right? I've come to you. You know I'm going to start talking about something difficult. You're not in that headspace. We've not learned as people to go, you know what, emotionally, I'm not available enough for this at the moment. So we just start reframing, yeah? Oh, you're we, fine, don't worry, yeah. everything's good. We throw out the phrase that we've seen in that quote on Instagram, right? Exactly, just, yeah. yeah. Try and look at yeah. it in this way, right? You know, try and be focused on the positives, right? And what we're essentially saying is, don't come to me with your stuff because I, I, I'm not ready for it, right? Yeah. And so... I think there's a lot of that. And, you know, this is why I, I think there's a bit of a worry that we talk so much about talking, right? When we, we, we need to make sure that we're at least catching the listeners up, getting the listeners to catch up. Otherwise, we're all doing this talking and now we've sort of outed ourselves and now we're in this place where we've outed ourselves, but we don't feel seen. And that's yeah. that's even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's funny because, it, you know, I wouldn't expect to have come on to... Uh, being present um you know with you sort of straight away but but a lot of the the guests we have on it naturally it doesn't matter what we're talking about but it it does it does come back to more silence more presence mm. and then being able to give more and it's 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 a funny one because it just doesn't make sense to anyone or it's so difficult for us to do you know I, i'm i'm the reason i said that that story is because I'm constantly trying to challenge myself in these situations. You know, I, I, I would like to say that I do the work or I try to do the work. And of course, the work goes out the window sometimes. Like it's, it's, it's so, because it's sort of frustrating and it's this consistent level. But it's really interesting that it, it, it does come back to that. And, and I, always, I, I think I've started observing this question of how much time do I actually spend without any distraction or in silence. And now we're sort of, we're, we're coming up with, you know, ways to do it by, you know, meditating or, or, or plugging headphones. But even I realized was, I can't even do that sometimes without using a guided meditation. And it's like, no, I just, I just want to sit and be and watch the cars go past or, or, or watch something. 
because I do also observe that otherwise I cannot help other people. And I think we all want to help other people naturally, some people a little bit more than others, but we're all sort of born with this sort of inner purpose. It makes us feel the best ever by by helping or giving something to someone. Yeah. And it and it is becoming really hard because I think we're all getting more frustrated with ourselves that we can't give because we can't even look after ourselves. I mean, that's actually me talking specifically for myself. So I don't know on behalf of others, but it is a re- it's, it's it's a really interesting topic that it comes back to every time. Yeah, but but you know, you can go too far with that then and then the pressure upon yourself in order to be able to become present present becomes part of the problem itself, right? Yeah, I've had that. I've had that. I've had <laughs> yeah, that. Quite yeah, deep, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but <laughs> yeah. but but it is, you know, and, and like if I can only do a guided meditation in the morning, right? For for me, um it has to become about being self-observation in that in, in that sense. So not like I need to get to a place of stillness or I need to get to a place where I'm not doing guided meditation, but much more curious of, oh, look at how difficult I'm finding it today to become as present as I'd like to be, right? Yeah. Where's, that, where's that come from? Oh, okay. Yeah. Where, what am I feeling? Where's the, where's the feeling in my body, right? Is it, is there tightness in my chest? Is it a feeling in my stomach, right? For me, it tends to be guilt comes in my stomach. I'm, telling someone something and worry and concern is the tightness in the chest. So that becomes about the kind of returning to the body. Um, And it all has to be rooted in self-compassion because, um, because we're we're human beings and we don't get it right. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's all, it's all completely right. I want to, because I think it would be really short changed if I don't cover this with you, but resilience and, to be honest, I've I've lived a lot of the last part of my life using it to motivate me or to guide how I behave and to guide how I get through difficult times. Um, and I, I find myself now quite torn as to number one how I should use it, but also how I define it. And I and I want to ask you because I've seen some of your videos and you you explain it very well. And I think you make it very applicable and and give a far better idea of what resilience is. But to you, what what is resilience and and how should we use it? Look, resilience is often believed to be this idea that I need to be able to keep going, right? Yeah. I need to just be able to not stop, that I need yeah. to keep moving forward, right? Um, uh, for me, that's a hugely problematic way of looking at resilience. Um, uh, for me, at its core, resilience is about understanding exactly what I'm feeling, uh, making sure that I know what that feeling means and what I need as a result, and then being able to communicate that so that I can get the resources that I need in my life to be able to deal with it. That means that resilience looks like whatever it looks like in your given life, depending on how you feel, right? Yeah. So sometimes it's about being able to take a um, a step back. Sometimes it's about being able to take your foot off the gas. Sometimes it's about saying, I need to go and take some time alone, or I need to take some time around people, depending on who you are, right? But But it's not this insular thing of if I reach out for help, it means I'm not being resilient, right? Yeah. If I if I get help and support in the right way that I need it, then I'm being resilient because I'm tapping into the resources that are available to me. As human beings, we are wired for connection. We're wired for connection. So this belief that I should be able to do it on my own, that's not resilient. That's that's going against what you're wired to do. So it's not yeah. it's it's not resilient, right? It this ultra independence that's being pushed in the self help space, particularly right of nobody's going to help you if you don't help yourself for me it's just absolutely ridiculous because because 
you better believe that there's no way I would be here if I didn't get help and support from people. Yeah. If I didn't feel needed and wanted, yeah, or I didn't have this need in myself to want to feel needed and wanted, right? That's a that's a basic human need. It's not it's not a desire. It's a it's a need, right? That I'm born with. Um, and you know, when 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 you look at like uh, resilience in kind of like a pinnacle thing, right? I, do you do you watch much boxing? A little bit, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Anthony Joshua, most people yeah. know Anthony Joshua is the yeah. big, strong, heavyweight, yeah, for most of his career until recently, he was known for coming forward and, and knocking people out with big punches coming forward, right? When you look at his most defining fight uh, at the time that he had it was against Klitschko. Klitschko was the, the champion of the time. Everyone known him as being the best for 10 or 11 years. Yeah. Anthony Joshua beats him in the 11th round and everybody remembers the picture of Anthony Joshua's uppercut where Klitschko's head nearly comes off of his shoulders, right? And everyone goes, wow, that's where he won the fight. That's not where Anthony Joshua won the fight. Anthony Joshua won the fight. In the 7th round, Anthony Joshua was knocked on his backside and couldn't couldn't really see. And for two rounds, the big, strong, heavy weight who's known for coming forward, right, and walking people down, ran away for two rounds. Yeah. He ran away. He took two rounds off. He barely threw a punch yeah. and he hugged and he made sure that Klitschko didn't hit him. That's where Anthony Joshua won the fight. So this big, strong, 20-stone heavyweight, his most resilient act in one of his most defining fights of, of that time was to run away for two rounds because yeah. he knew that's what he needed to do. And you can take that a step further, by the way. And when he went on to fight Andy Ruiz, who was supposed to be somebody that he beat you know, with his eyes closed, Andy Ruiz knocked him on his backside in the third round. And what I believe is he thought, there's no way I can run away from this guy for two rounds. I'll yeah. get slaughtered for it. So he kept trying to come forward and he lost the fight. He lost, yeah. Because he didn't tap into what resilience really is. Now, I might be oversimplifying in the in the second fight. I'm sure Anthony Joshua would tell you that I am oversimplifying in the second fight. But you kind of get the idea of what I'm saying here is that, you know, we don't need to just keep walking people down. We don't need to just keep going forward, right? Sometimes it's about knowing what's right in that moment. 100%. It's a good way of looking at it. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think resilience has been drummed into a lot of people as turning inwards and dealing with the problem yourself and not mm-hmm. involving other people and not asking for help. And it's connected to the asking for help. It's connected to dealing with emotions as they come. Um, and, and I think you're absolutely right. And, and it is an infuriating part of that self-help space that it's exploded in popularity and, and I'm not sure it's exploded in usefulness. No, it hasn't. And, and, and we've just replaced man up with resilience. Yeah. So instead of saying man up, you just say be resilient. Well, what's the difference? Yeah. No, it just no. sounds a little bit more it just sounds a little bit sounds more nice complex. Though. Well, no, do yeah, you know what it is? It, it's less sexist and it's less it's less male orientated. And that's all yeah, they've yeah. done. They've already they've said sure. something that doesn't necessarily say, oh, you know, you've got a man up or woman up or man down. That was the brilliant thing we talked about with, with Jamie as well. No, you're you're absolutely right. Do you think uh, where where do you think um a lot of that comes from? The the sort of people you know, sort of saying um, man up and do you think it comes from a lack of understanding themselves and the, and, and maybe the stories? Because I, w- I always like to think that, you know, any time, you know, at the at time when you've been surprised, you've got a bit annoyed at someone because they haven't quite lived up to what you thought, right? You thought that they were going to do, you had expectations for them. We all have expectations for every single person in our life. I don't know whether you should share this this view, but does that come from does does this come from a misunderstanding of what 
what people can actually deal with and what they've dealt with in their story, right? Because no one really could sit in your shoes when you were younger and go through, like listening to you just to say it in such a frank way, you know, in such an honest way. It gave me a, like a, it gave me a, a shudder. It gave me something where I was like, wow, I can feel that energy of, of what you went through. But it's nothing, right? That's, that's, that's one second of what you went through for so long. And how can people understand and put themselves more in um, another person's shoes? Or is it sort of a, we need to just allow our expectations to be a little bit less? Or how do we encourage, I guess, people to deal with it in the right way rather than say, you know, uh, you need to sort this out. Like you let me down, you know, many times you let yourself down, you know, you're doing all this. How do we invite that, that more into ourselves, I guess, because I, I do it a lot. You know, I, I still expect stuff from people and I kind of default to those times when I've been at my worst and I can't give anything. And all I want to do is, is just, you know, people want me to do better and I want to do better for myself, but I can't. How can we blame people for that? I, I, I find it baffling and I'm doing what I do in most of the podcasts where I don't really ask a specific question. No, but I just listen. say a lot. No, and listen, and I take a lot from what you say. Uh, firstly, uh, what I would say is that I believe that there is space in the conversation for toughen up, right? So I'm going to remove the word man up, right? Because man up... Um, uh, means that we're saying that somehow being tougher means that you're being more of a man, right? That's problematic. We all know that it's gender, you know, there's problems with gender in that, but toughen up sometimes, right? There are some situations in my life where, you know, my wife says to me, you're going to have to let it go now. Yeah. You, you're a dad, you've got kids and you, you, you're going to have to. And sometimes that shot is what I need. So I, you know, I think we've got to be a little bit careful that we don't yeah. say that, that toughness is needs to be gone and that we all need to go the complete other way. By the way, tough, t- a tough material, something like a hard plastic, right? A hard plastic, what's good about it is it can take a lot of impact, but eventually it will break. And when a hard plastic breaks and snaps, it, we can't use it in its original form again, so it becomes useless. So, but we need to be able to take a bit of impact sometimes, yeah? Long-term, we want to be more like elastic when we look at resilience, yeah. right? Elastic can bend and distort, and that's why what its strength is because it will return to its original form, right? But but then how do, we, how do we further on this conversation in this sense? For me, it has to be rooted in compassion. If somebody, if somebody comes to me when I'm talking about my emotions and my feelings in the way that I do, do and says, you need to get on with it, you just need to toughen up a bit and you need to man up, right? And they say it in that frank. I'm telling you now that nearly every single one of them that say that to me say it because deep inside of them, they're struggling with some of the emotions that I'm talking about and me talking about it is making them feel uncomfortable. So, so they're not lacking in education. They're lacking in a compassionate space to be able to explore that stuff. Mm-hmm. So if we, you know, when we say that we need to fight stigma and break stigma, I, I understand why we say it because it's emotive. But actually, most of the people that drive stigma are me 10 years ago, rolling about in the pub saying, get on with it, stop being such a girl or whatever I used to say. I, I didn't say that because I was uneducated. Look at my life. I was one of the most educated people you could imagine on this stuff. I Were you educated in emotions? Is that the issue? I was uneducated in the regulation of emotions and, and, and emotional literacy and kind of bringing them out and, and knowing what they are. Whenever emotion came up, I drank alcohol or I smoked weed or I did whatever other drugs you had going, right? So yeah. um, 
I was I was uneducated in being able to bring my emotions to the surface. So I guess it, it moves us on nicely to to how do we integrate more of this into our lives? Is it something that we can learn um, in a class when we're younger? Is it something that we have to practice, like practicing letting out our emotions? Um, what what is it to you? And I guess how your work comes into this. Uh, I know you coach businesses, probably individuals, um, but how, how does that, how do you see that um, in the most effective way? Listen, the, the, the real most effective way is to um, actually go right back to the beginning and work with children of, of the ages of five and six years old and help them to understand what emotions are. Because, and I, I, I go into, I've delivered resilience training to children that are five or six years old and they love it. Yeah, they love talking about their they're not emotions. scared of they're not scared of you. No, 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 they're not scared of me. No, yeah, just because <laughs> just because of the, the the more manly look, I'd I'd love to see them think who's going to come and talk about resilience with with me, and they so emotions turn up, and they're like, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they learn to be resilient because they have to sit in a room looking at somebody. That's, uh, <laughs> first, first lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Love yeah. It. No, but I, so look, when I do that, I call it, it's called, I call like, it's a session around being the best you, right? But then I just introduce them to having some literacy around emotions and, and kind of talking about them and, and how it's normal. The difference when I go and work with 13-year-olds is that they've already got their unhealthy coping mechanisms, right? And this is one of the big problems, right, is once a 13-year-old has smoked cannabis, right, or as drank alcohol, you put me in a room with them and say, let's talk about our emotions. They're just going to be thinking, I smoke a joint in the evening, mate, and it does what you're saying, but a million times better. Yeah. So, so, so then what they have to do or what they end up doing is having to go right to this breaking point where they realize it's not the answer. Right. And then you can do some work with them when they're having a breakdown in their mid twenties or mid thirties. Is that what happened to you then? Is that how you describe your experience, which was it was coping mechanism, coping mechanism, coping mechanism, right up until the point where you were at your breaking point, and only then did you realise that that was enough. Exactly, and yeah. alcohol and drugs were never my problem. No, alcohol and drugs were an attempt at a solution. They were a reaction to my problem. That that, by the way, when I was a kid and there was no consequences to the ways that I drank and smoked cannabis, worked. They worked, yeah. man. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And this this is and this is the problem that we like got. numbing. Yeah, it numbed the pain. It took it all away from me. I didn't, you know, uh, simply put, I remember drinking alcohol when I was younger and I used to feel crap in the week. And then on the weekend, I drank alcohol and my life got good. And it was as simple as that when I was younger. And so I believe that the window of opportunity to help people, look, young people's brains are developing at their fastest rate. Our brains do 75% of their developing by, by nine years old. And yet, and yet you speak to most schools and you say, do you want me to come in and talk about some emotions? They go, well, let's wait until senior school. And then at senior school, they get you in to talk to the people that have started using drugs. And then you're fighting a really difficult battle because, because drugs do what the kids are wanting them to do, right? So the real work starts with, with children. Uh, I think we should take away a lot of the academic pressures on teachers so that they have more time to spend with just being with the children. Um, That comes back to us as people, by the way, and the way in which we vote and push for wanting to know where, because we want to know where our tax money's gone. 
And we need to get to a place where our society is happy if a politician comes around and says we're, we're investing in our children for an emotionally better adults in the future. Yeah. Because the riots and the stuff that you see in adulthood today, if you want to get really deep into it, is loads of traumatized children running about in adults' bodies. 100%. Couldn't agree and with that, you more. Yeah. And Just that, an ignition, you know, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Just gives, it, gives them a place to... Um, and, and sometimes I actually think, you know, it's it's almost good, like good that people, you know, not not destruction of of other people's property, but in the in the way of emotion and, and getting out that anger and like because where else is it going to go? Mm-hmm. Like wh- where else? Obviously, if you can do it in a in a in a safer environment, of course. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, you you're right. You do just see it. It's it's, it's just coming out, and it doesn't take much. It's just an excuse yeah. to be able to put those emotions out there in. In. Yeah, and that's what you see. That's what you see at football, right? When I, when when you see all these men crying because their team's just been relegated, they're not crying because their team's been relegated. They're crying at all the things they haven't felt comfortable about crying yeah. about throughout the season. Yeah. Well, I used to go to football and shout and hurl abuse at a referee, and I mean, I'd, I'd want to get on there and throttle him if I could. Right? That wasn't because he was a bad referee. It was because I was a young man who had no idea how to process my anger. And yeah. when I went when I went to football, there were I'm a Swindon fan, so a, a couple of thousand other people doing the same thing, and I felt comfortable doing it. And at 19, my second daughter was born when I was 19. And at 19 years old, I didn't cry at the birth of my two children, but I cried every time I went to the, the county ground, Swindon's ground, and we sang the song that we sang at the beginning of the game. Yeah. And I and I felt like that was okay because I could release my emotion there, right? So when you start to look at those things on a societal level, because anger is not a bad thing. Anger is not a bad emotion. We just only really see it in a bad light. The suffragettes were angry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Martin Luther King was angry. Right. But what they did with that anger held real relevance and meaning. I grew up in an environment where I wasn't allowed to be angry. So, so I didn't have an, I didn't have a problem with anger. I had a, I, 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 I had a problem with my emotions and, and how to express them. And what you saw was anger. So, there's, you know, to bring it right back to the, to, to the original question of what do we need to do? A good starting place is is real discussion, where we where we stop the the the, the kind of collective lying and denial that we all do. You yeah. know, we when we're in groups of people, we all say things, and I think we're all we all know with this isn't true, and we're all just saying it because we think that's what we're supposed to say. So let's have the difficult conversations. Let's allow ourselves to be wrong. Let's. You know, I do it all the time, by the way. A lot of the stuff, the content I put out, I put it out. And then a day later, I think, well, I don't even think that anymore. At, at the time, I was willing to put it out and to back it as a hypothesis and then allow myself to be wrong. And when we allow ourselves to be wrong, that's how we that's how we grow. And I think, you know, if my healing journey is anything to go by, it's been a series of getting things terribly wrong and then le- being able to learn from them and move forward. And that's real you know growth anyway yeah, it's lessons learned and being able to change your mind it's something we're, we're, we're getting worse and worse at nowadays as people yeah. become more and more entrenched in in different positions and actually there's something wonderfully refreshing and wonderfully escapeful about being able to say you know what actually you're right i was wrong on that and that was just because of what i had available to me at the time and, and exactly. i think it's, it's something we all need to get better at 
Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's kind of what we all want one politician somewhere in the world to say at one point in their life. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's baffling, right? Like there's, there's not a single one of them that could just say, and they're the leaders of, of, of our world or what we think. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, they it's just can't, can't own up to it. It's because we've defined it as weakness. It's, it's if you're wrong, you're weak. And, and if you're wrong, you have no right to speak again. It's not true. It's, no. People are wrong mm. every day and all the time. And we're wrong in every decision. My goodness, and up because yeah it's the strength is in being wrong and admitting that you're wrong right that's that's how you learn and that's how you grow and you know like you say i I think it would be so refreshing if you were if you to see it at a a politician's level where a politician said something one of them come back and he goes actually i think you've nailed it there good point we're going to go with that. It's, right? it's the same on Soccer Saturday. You want them to do the same thing when they're debating about the, <laughs> yeah. whether someone's had a decent game or not. And actually, they do there. But, uh, you know, when we look for role models and we look for people to emulate, and, uh, and you say it's spot, you're spot on with the kids, you know, when children are looking at people who, who they want to be like, there's none of that admission. There's none of that, oh, this, this is a vulnerability of mine. And, and it's a huge problem that we have. Yeah. And, you know, look, that's the state that the real healing work is coming back to what we were when we were children and what we were in that children childlike state state is just just so curious you look at a young child of five you know five or six years old or even younger they just walk around picking things up looking at it they'll tell you what it is you'll tell them it's not that and then they're like amazed that it's not that and they'll put it down and they move on again yeah but that's you know that childlike curiosity of I don't even really care if I'm right or wrong. I'm just going to float about and try things out. That's for me where you want to get back to. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you one thing on that. It's just come to mind. Who's easier to deal with and to to let's say I don't want to say coach, but for lack of a better word, coach five or six year old children or management level executives at some of these five businesses. and six year old children are easy. Really, that's well, interesting, easy. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, be- yeah, because they'll just like they'll have their idea and they'll listen to your idea and then they won't even really care which one's right. Yeah. They'll just, they'll just take it on board. They'll take it on board. They'll take it on board. They'll they'll listen and they'll weigh it up against their thing and they'll try it. And if they like it or not, that's it. At management level, you're trying to peel back the layers, right? You're trying to like, you're trying to, yeah, who's been saying one thing all of his life and feels like he can't come out and say, actually, I might be wrong. Let's, let's try that. And so it, it, five and six year olds are easy and that's why you want to get there then because they're you know you you can give them the kind of healthy strategies without having to work on peeling back all the unhealthy ones that they've convinced themselves are healthy yeah oh, it's amazing it's, re- it's refreshing to hear and it's no to, yeah i'm always in awe of teachers and i think they are arguably alongside doctors and, and other people that save lives and, and impact lives the most teachers are up there and it's something that you know we, i don't want to get onto that because it's a whole nother topic but it's it's such a huge part of, of our lives and you look at problems that ferment themselves when people are adults and you could almost always trace it back to to your formative years and your your age your, gro- your growing up years and it's mm. it's something we probably don't realize because you don't see the results for for yonks and um it's a problem exactly and then the schools are just like and i do a lot of work with schools but that you know the 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 way that schools are at the moment, the way the world's changed in the last 20 years, most children will leave school for a job that doesn't even exist yet. And, <laughs> yeah. and, by, and by the way, when you look at businesses now, yeah, 
What's the two things, if you were leaving to go into the corporate world now, the two things that you'd want, one is to be good at getting people's attention, right? Because if you can grab someone's attention, then you're, you're going to nail it, right? Because yeah. that's what all companies are looking for. So good at getting attention. And then what's everyone else looking for? The disruptors, yeah? The ones that are going to come in and disrupt the market, right? So you're good at disrupting stuff. So you want attention-seeking disruptive people, right? The two things that will get you thrown out of every single classroom in the country. It's the opposite of what school's about, Josh. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, I know. So I know. be out with that, you know? Uh, well, we want yeah, we want conformity, and it's far easier teaching people the same thing, and it's not necessarily the best thing for them. But exactly, yeah, yeah. new education secretary there, Josh. If you fancy uh, <laughs> going back there, I'd like to see that. I think there's be some really interesting policies coming out of schools. I'd love to see you as a head teacher somewhere. I think there'd be but some gen- brilliant stuff. But genuinely, we laugh, and oh my god, I would I would send my kids straight to a school that you're you're head of just just because of that honesty, right? Like it's like you you could make a hunt, you could make thousands more mistakes. But I know that you're gonna you're you're going to own up to them, and I think that's what we're we're talking about here. And I, I think it's a really good practice that that I try to do. It's so it's so hard, and that's when you know and you're a bit aware of yourself. But it's so hard when you're in your 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 tunnel vision of what is annoying to you or what you are really like believe. And what you want success to suddenly, do. yeah, exactly. And you can suddenly step out of it and go, "Fuck, what am I doing?" Like. I'm sort of say sorry or, or be like I'm wrong just mm. one of those and it you can feel it it's like you don't want to say it it really hurts but I do find that it's for me it's 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 peeled certain layers and and just it gets easier when you do yeah. it yeah 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 and it, look there's a there's a yearning for this kind of stuff from people you can see it out there there's like fabricated authenticity out there at the moment as people are sort of attempting to do this authenticity and you know vulnerability i worry that it's sort of becoming this commodity now so that people are kind of doing an inauthentic version of authenticity at some degree because we we recognize the need but there is a yearning for it and and isn't that actually it ties us up quite nicely because i was thinking about it earlier when you were talking about resilience and and actually what seems to be the issue is that there are like 90 maybe 50% of people take it in the right way or like it starts out vulnerability we're talking about starts out like the people that are talking about it first they really understand it they really get it 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 sort of makes it and then people seem to just take it that huge step further and suddenly it's like you always have to be resilient right well you all you should always be vulnerable you shouldn't always be vulnerable as well I mean I, I don't know there's probably an argument for both but it's 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 this t- um exaggerated saying all must be this or as yeah. you you said earlier you know sometimes you need to be resilient sometimes you need to be angry sometimes you need to be this and I think that's why individuality has to really kind of come into it more and, and obviously that's why people talk about self-awareness because only you really know if you clock into who you are mm. what you should be maybe how you should react to what you should be feeling yeah and listen when we're talking about feelings and emotions right if your feelings and emotions don't contradict each other then you're not feeling all of your emotions because they will contradict and what you've just talked about there is the absolute fear of that we've got in our society of nuance right people try to make everything fixed because that's comfortable and that's easy and i can say i'm on this side of you have to be resilient or i'm on this side where i support being vulnerable when actually the, the, the truth always lies somewhere in the gray area in between and always contradicts itself it, it, a little bit like we sort of when we talked about the toughening up thing earlier right 
I always get a bit worried when I bring up, well, I think sometimes there's a need for toughening up, right? Because uh, you think people people sometimes have gone to the polarized opposite end where it's yeah. like, no, that is disgusting. We can't use that. We must always be vulnerable. And it's the same with authenticity, right? If I was my true authentic self all of the time, I wouldn't leave the house. So I have to tap into a bit of my ego state, right? Yeah. I have to. I have to do that in order to, I'm not the same man when I turn up and play football on a Saturday as I am when I turn up and do a podcast like this. I'm the same man, but I'm tapping into a different part of myself. 100%. And, we, and we've got to be, we've got to be more realistic and know that it all contradicts itself. When you start, the more I do healing work, the more I realize if it doesn't contradict, I'm, I'm not gone deep enough. Yeah, because that's yeah. that's that's just the, the reality. Everyone's everyone's going to be talking about contradictory uh, sort of therapy in the next few years, and they're going to have taken it a bit further. But I, I think I think we kind of yeah we we, we sort of nailed that. But I, I I really I really like that idea that it really actually comes back down to we've got to almost trust how people are feeling inside. And how they take their decisions and their actions. And as you, as you said, it's kind of like only I know when I need to really man up mm. and 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 be that sort of that far part of resilient. You know, if you've got the energy to do it, you know that you're the only one that knows deep down if you're trying hard enough or if you're doing the thing that you know you should. Um, and it's impossible to observe from the outside. I think everyone wants that therapist to know that you went to tell them you know but it's so hard like I've worked with people and I can see them struggling to go if I say something too much it's not going to quite fire you up uh, you know it's going to fire you up too much and you're going to get annoyed and you're going to be like I can't do that but then if you if you say something too small you're going to take it for granted and you're going to just live this sort of easy comfortable life so only it's a realization I've had only really you can 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 really decide um yeah and that by the way that that talk that you're talking about there all of this all of it can be traced back to childhood Mm. and as children in the first four years i say four years of our lives we're supposed to be taught that we are lovable in every single one of our emotions i'm supposed to know that i can be angry and it's okay i can be jealous and it's okay i can be rageful and it's okay i can be all of the human experiences and know that i'm still lovable no child or most children at that age do not get that full spectrum of knowing that they're lovable in all of those emotions because their parents have got their own stuff that triggers them. And so they try and keep them away. So there's always certain parts of our emotions that our parents, when we were younger, couldn't deal with. And so we, we felt that in those states, we weren't lovable. So that talk that we're on about of maybe I should say this, maybe I should say that is born out of that original conditioning. And that's not about bad parents. That's not about um, blaming the parents. That's just about an understanding of how we develop in those initial years, right? So it all comes, everything that we've talked about comes back to my inability to feel lovable just the way that I am. So I'm always stretching. I'm always fighting to try and do something so that I'm lovable, accepted and liked in who I am. And it can all be true. So true. No, you're right. And Josh, we usually like to end with some short, quick-fire questions, and and I feel like that that profound comment there. I, I'm conscious I forgot to mute my microphone. I had a really big sigh at the end of that, but I'm sure it's going to be picked <laughs> up on the mic just because I don't know. I felt a little bit of weight lift off when you were going through the childhood and the, and the lovable elements. So, but we'll, we'll see if Alexa can edit that out. But actually, probably works quite well for effect. Um, I, I do just want to ask you a couple more things, and and it doesn't need to be long answers, but I think they'll probably round us off really nicely. The first is. 
the advice you'd give to a 20 year old yourself you know the, the one that's going through these problems maybe doesn't necessarily see them with all the, the knowledge that you have now and, and what would you tell them i would tell them that all of this makes sense if you look at your story from a non-judgmental view yeah so everything that i was doing there was nothing wrong with me i was reacting to the world in the only way that i knew how based on my story and so so that would be what i would say brilliant good very good advice i think to any of our younger selves um the next one is like what's what's next for you um, you know, we talked about some of the stuff you do with schools and, and with big organisations, but I guess is that you clearly love it and you, you get a real buzz out of it and it, it probably helps you as well. I mean, what 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 next? Is it more of the same or you've got any other ideas? Uh, yeah, no. So it's more of the same at the moment. Since we went into lockdown, my kind of uh, workload has gone crazy because um, a lot of my sort of the corporate clients that I work with were then no longer restricted by where I could get to. So yeah, that just meant that I've been rolling some of the resilience training out globally. So with quite a few organizations, so it's just been really busy. Uh, so at the moment, it's a case of sort of getting through this year, uh, looking after myself and practicing all of the things that I preach. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I have, I have more plans. It's for me, it's about, we haven't really talked about it in great length today, but inner child work, we have talked about it, but we haven't called it that. But inner child work has been what's absolutely changed my life. And somehow I would like to bring that and what's worked for me um, to to, to people on a large scale. So that's the next step. Fantastic. Uh, on, On the subject of those probably very large Zoom calls that you've been having with big corporates, I really hope you turn up in a tank top too, because so for our listeners, they won't be able to see it. But but Josh is here in, you know, sleeve sleeves of tattoos. He looks brilliant wearing a tank top. And I'm just really hoping you're going to those big organizations and doing exactly the same. Thing. I, I don't. I no? do, you know what? do you know what? I, I do you know why I don't. Uh, I'll wear a shirt, right? Oh. And, um, I wear a shirt because when I tell my story and I still think my face looks like I've got tattoos and wear tanks anyway, <laughs> I'm honest with you. <laughs> so you don't do yourself justice. But no, I, think, on, yeah, I, no. I, I think they can sort of tell that I have. And I think, but to, so there's a bit of me that's like, no, you know, I've been for all of that, but this is who I am today. Right. And I'm not, you know, uh, I don't know. There's something in it. I, I, I could, yeah, sorry. No, I could see a great, I could see a great thing when you go in with the shirt, and then at a point in the story, you sort of just rip your sleeves off. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you you get your inner child out. <laughs> You're seriously impactful speaker. No, uh, Josh, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm going to say to all the listeners as well, go and check you out on on all your socials because you're going to learn far more from some of Josh's stuff than than the usual rubbish and, and crap that we tend to see on, on social media and and Instagram and places like that. So thank you so much for coming on and, and thank you for showing that vulnerability for for enlightening us so much on on where our childhoods come into it and and i'm pretty sure you're going to have helped quite a fair few people um just not on this but but throughout with everything that you do so thank you yeah, thank you awesome. cheers really josh thank you very much for listening to this episode of the minefield pod please don't forget to subscribe rate and get in touch We all have our own minefields and we hope that this podcast goes some way to helping you navigate yours.